I didn't grow up going to a Christmas Eve service until I was much uh, in my later teens. And uh, I, I just enjoy being out in the lobby and watching people come in. And the thing I especially enjoy is watching young people come in who grew up here at the church and you've moved away and some of you are married and have children or you're away at college and uh, you, you come back here and you see people that you haven't seen for a long time. And that is just such a delight to see that. I, I hope that you remember your Christmas Eve services as a child in a special way, as I know that my children do. Now, this last week, or this last month, we've been uh, thinking together through this passage in Isaiah chapter 9. And um, it's a prediction that was made, uh, this passage, around 730 B.C., shortly before the Assyrian Empire came down and captured, overran the northern kingdom of Israel and took them into exile. And it was a time of great political turmoil. And the prophet in this passage, Isaiah, he looks forward far, far beyond their present circumstances to a distant day in which all the conditions will change, all the conditions of life. He describes the hope that the faithful have that these conditions will change. And it all centers around the words that we said together in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this passage describes the coming of the Messiah. It's true that the word Messiah is not used in this passage. That word is simply a Hebrew word that means anointed one. But the Messiah, everyone agrees, Jewish and Christian interpreters, is the subject of this passage. He's the child to be born, the one to be given. There's never been any doubt about that. And four titles specifically are given to him that we've been looking at one each week the last few weeks. And tonight on Christmas Eve, I'm going to finish by looking at the last one, which is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. The Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. Now, in one sense, this is an easier title to think about than all the other three that we've looked at the last few weeks. And so if you miss those, you need to at least understand that they're very difficult because all three of the, the, the first three of the four titles um, all use a title that seems to refer elsewhere in the Old Testament unquestionably to God. So the question arises, how can the Messiah be given a name like the hardest one, Mighty God, a, a, a Two words put together about seven times in the Hebrew Bible. Every other place but this one, it refers unquestionably to God. How can that be true of this child to be born? And we thought about ways in which people try to answer that question who don't accept the fact that the Old Testament is an unfinished story. It's unfinished because this is like a diamond that is below the surface and you see just the tip of it sticking up and you don't know what it means. The New Testament reveals that the Messiah would be both God and man. But this title doesn't carry any of that baggage. It's not difficult in that sense when it calls him Prince of Peace. It's not a title used elsewhere in the Old Testament, but it's not a title that just by its very nature refers obviously to God. But there's no question that it's referring to the Messiah, that there's some sense in which he brings peace. I suppose on every Christmas Eve for the last 2,000 years, when people have met together, they have um, 
felt the need for peace. That is true in all areas of human civilization because the world in which we live has never known lasting peace. But if we take an open-eyed gaze at life today and we think about all of the things that we are facing in this world at the present time, I'm sure we recognize very easily that peace is something that we long for. Now, it is true that um, since the Vietnam conflict, which I was a child when that was going on and a young adult, since that time, our country has not been in a full-scale war. There have been conflicts in which we've been engaged, but not a full-scale war. But rarely has a generation lived through a time in which there is not a war, not one that many nations are involved in, and yet there is less certainty of peace than at the present time. I mean, even the newscasters use words that refer to war constantly in our culture. They speak of a culture war and a trade war and a cold war. And the, na- the relationship between the nations is very tenuous and feeble at the present time. And the tension below the surface is palpable when you read the news or you listen to it. And what's going on in the world stage is reflected as well in our own country. There is such a polarization between the right and the left in our country that it's um, frightening and dangerous. In my own family, I'm sure many families relate to this, but not all. In my family, as are the children, I don't mean my own family, the family I grew up in, the, the, we grew up and we went our own ways. There was always a division between those in my family who were more liberal, you would say, and those who were more conservative. And it, it made family gatherings a bit uh, interesting at times, let's say. But, you know, we, we always got along fine. Fortunately, we're not getting together this Christmas. I'm not sure everything would go along fine. It seems like everyone is on edge, and every topic is deadly serious that you can bring up with everyone. There's not a lot of peace in the country in which we live, and that turmoil is masked, of course, by turmoil that's going on inside. There are skyrocketing percentages, people tell us, of all kinds of disorders in people, depression, anxiety, compulsive behaviors. If you read into these things, you find out that the numbers of people experiencing that, particularly in the younger generations, is far beyond what people have known in the past. And it seems like there's something about the rapid change in our world about the movement from a pre-computer society into a computer society that is like cast us into all kinds of uncertainty, all these time-saving so-called devices that we have that allow us to communicate so rapidly with people all over the world. They seem to be destroying personal relationships so that we're interested in tweeting out everything that we thought about and ate yesterday, you know? But we can't talk... To real people and real flesh and blood relationships, it seems like the human psyche cannot keep up with the change that is going on technologically and in terms of communication. So I'd have to say, when we think about peace, if ever peace was longed for, it's Christmas Eve 2018. And as to that, that the prophet spoke, he said that the one who would be born would have these titles. And he gives him four titles. They're not the names of the Messiah. No one calls him this. They are titles that he's given, and one of them is Prince of Peace. Well, let's think about peace. 
What is peace? What does it mean? What does it do for us? In one sense, peace is one of those words that hardly needs definition, right? We all know what peace is when we think of it inside. It's a feeling, a a feeling of tranquility. When all is at calm, Uh, on the other hand, the opposite of that, when we feel inside turmoil and confusion. You, You understand that peace, we use that word to describe both a feeling and a state, The feeling is what I just described. And I would say if you use the word peace, most of us immediately think of the feeling of being at peace. That's where we start. But we understand that we use the word peace to refer to a state when, for example, a major war like World War II ends and one side gives up and there's a meeting and they agree on what's going to be the consequence of it. The world is at peace. But all that that means, it doesn't mean that all of the tension that was there the day before is gone. It only means that there's been an agreement to lay down arms. They're not going to be at hostility anymore. But the feelings that were involved that brought about the conflict may be there. It's not a subjective kind of peace. That's what we long for, the feeling of tranquility, calmness. But, but it's just the outward form of peace. And we use the word that way too, but for most of us, I would have to say, we think, first of all, of a feeling of being without tension, without conflict. We think of that as being at peace, a feeling of tranquility. Well, think of it this way. Peace is, uh, first of all, in our thinking like this little diagram, it's something that we experience individually. And it is very much a feeling. It's a personal sense of well-being. The Hebrew word for peace is, you probably heard it, shalom. It, it's a word that is very common. In fact, it's used in all of um, what are called the Semitic languages, which include Hebrew. That's the smaller one. Arabic, which 300 million people speak in the world, is their first language. Even Amharic is a Semitic language, the Ethiopian language. In all of those languages, the word peace is used constantly. It's the way you begin and end any conversation. In Hebrew, the words first used in Genesis 18, shalom lachem, peace to you. That's how you start a conversation, and you end it with exactly the same words. And that's true, not only that, it's true right up to the present time. It's a very common word, and it's wishing to a person that you would feel a sense of being integrated in life, that your life would be at peace. There would be a lack of tension, a lack of conflict, a lack of confusion. And the fact is, all of us have an inner world, right? an inner world that no one sees. We can describe it to them, but rarely do we describe it very completely. We all have an inner world of of things, feelings that are going on all the time. If you've ever been to a counselor, I remember going to a counselor at one point, and and I was describing something. He He said these words, how did that make you feel? And I thought, I'm paying you $100 to ask me that question? Like, you know... Anybody could ask that question. How did they make you feel? So I started talking about how I felt. And I realized after I talked for 15 minutes, I had only begun to sketch out dimly what it was was going on inside my inner world. A person can talk for hours, and you're never quite sure that you're there, but the inner world might be characterized by peace, in which case we feel a sense of 
wholeness, that's the basic meaning of shalom, whole, complete, integrity. We feel satisfaction or our inner world might be characterized by turmoil. We might be confused about things, in which case there's a sense of incompleteness, a sense of being broken or dissatisfied in some way. And and the fact is most of us at most times are in between those two things. Or we might have areas of our life, if we're thinking about them, where we do feel at peace and other areas where we don't. And and fortunately, we're able as we go through life at least to compartmentalize enough of our lives so that we don't constantly feel the turmoil of some aspects of our lives. But we all long for peace. We long for the sense of wholeness. And I suppose it would be fruitful if we could think about why is it that people do not experience peace today? Why is it that when Kim Kardashian sends out her newest picture, we don't feel, oh, the world is at peace. My whole life is fine. Instead, we feel we need to respond and say, that's ugly. I'm not sure why. It would be fruitful to think about that, but let's spend that at another time. (laughs) Peace is, first of all, personal. We all understand that. We don't feel it consistently. But what you do is when you extend the basic meaning of the word peace, which first thing we all think of, I feel a sense of calmness, a sense of integrity, of wholeness. When you extend that to the world outside, that is to other people's inner worlds as you bump into them, that's thinking of peace in more of, you might say, a relational sense. Peace in a relational sense. The basic meaning becomes extended into relationships. Relational Uh, Peace is simply, if you think of tranquility as an inner sense, you think of it in relationship with another person, and that's what peace is. If personal peace is the end, the cessation of turmoil, then peace with another person in a relationship is the end of some kind of conflict or turmoil. Now, why did I put a dotted line between those two things? Well, the fact is that it's very difficult to tease out the difference between personal peace and relational peace because the two are interrelated. Uh, Here's something that happened to me. Once, quite a while ago, it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I had quite a conflict with another person. It was very sharp. We disagreed about a number of things that mattered to us. and, And what happened is, in the course of time, I moved through, in other areas of my life, some things that I was struggling with. It happened that both of my parents had Alzheimer's disease at the same time. And and I've told people before, the first three years of that was easy because they supported each other, they encouraged each other in the midst of their disability. But what happens, obviously, if you know of a person declining in that way, it came to the point where they forgot each other, and then we just had two people with Alzheimer's to seek to take care of. And it was very difficult. It was tearing myself apart inside. But, you know, that kind of thing is not like a one-time tragedy. It's not like something happening where a person dies or something and all of a sudden you have to face it and deal with it. It's like grieving very slowly in slow bursts over a long period of time, seven years in our case. And um, what happened is, in the course of time, my parents declined and they died and we buried them and grieved over them. And what I experienced was, When I began to move past that, I began to realize how difficult it had made everything in life during that time period. What I mean is I thought about this conflict with this other person, and I realized I didn't feel it anymore. 
And I went back to him, and I, I told him, I'm really sorry. I think I was dealing with some things in my own life that was making it difficult for me to see what you were saying. And we ended up talking about it and working things through at that case. I wish everything could be cleared up as easily as that one was, but the fact is we all know that there are times when what is going on inside of us in our inner world impacts what is going on outside of us in our relationships with other people. And I don't mean to make it simple. I don't mean that it always works that way because you can be at peace in your inner world and still have conflict outwardly. After all, you're dealing with another person. They have their own life, and they have things that are going on inside of them. So um, it's not always that simple. But we all know that we're always moving in and out of various kinds of turmoil, various minor disagreements to major disagreements in various areas of our lives, and our relational world is just like our inner world. We don't stay in one place. But then lastly, just to extend it one more step, obviously, you can think of universal peace. Universal peace is not a reality. No one has ever experienced it in this world, at least not since the fall. Universal peace is just a concept we have in our minds. Universal peace is like the concept of a point in mathematics. It's kind of a movable thing, but we know conceptually there is such a thing, but we don't really experience it. That's what universal peace is like. It's the cessation of hostility, if you think of that inner sense of tranquility extended to relationships, and you write it large across the whole world, that would be universal peace, the world at peace. So, again, I put a dotted line just because it's like an extension. If there was universal peace, it would require by its very nature that every person be experiencing at least a degree of inward peace, a sense of tranquility. So all I'm saying is if you think about peace, peace is relatively easy to define. It's a lack of conflict, a lack of turmoil. And you can think of it, first of all, as rooted in personal well-being inside, a sense of being fully integrated, of being whole, the basic idea of peace. And then you can extend that out to relationships and experience it in various ways at various times. And you can at least conceptually think that there would be a time in which the whole world is at peace. So there you have it. Now let's go back to the passage. It says Prince of Peace. And let me ask, what kind of peace is being referred to in this passage? And if you look at it, it's unquestionably... Speaking of universal peace, there's nothing in the passage that talks about the feeling of peace. It assumes that you read peace and you understand what the feeling is. It's speaking of harmony in a large sense of the whole world at harmony. For example, when the Messiah comes, verse 4, as we read, the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have have broken as on the day of Midian. That is, there's going to be an end of all oppression. And using all these terms that came out of the Exodus, the yoke, the staff, the rod with which the people were beaten, all of that will be gone. It will be broken. Or the next verse, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And again, that might seem difficult to you, but all this is an image of the complete eradication of all of the implements of war. All those things left behind on the battlefield are just gathered together and they're burned up. Why? Because they're not needed anymore. 
That's the image that's used here. There's not going to be a need for those things any longer when the Messiah comes. Or most clearly, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with righteousness and justice from this time forth and forevermore. That's the description of what will happen. The ultimate promise that Isaiah was making, looking forward from 730 B.C., was that this one was going to come, the Messiah. A child would be born, a son would be given to us, he would have these titles, and he would bring universal peace. There would be only justice, only righteousness forevermore. Now, again, I want to note the emphasis of the passage is not really on peace. Peace is simply the result of the coming of this one who's promised. In fact, I've been just been looking at peace for a few minutes, but the title is not peace. The title is Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace, the source, the ruler. In other words, the Messiah is a person who rules over this world in such a way as to bring peace. This was spoken 700 years before Jesus was born. But in the process of time, the Messiah was born and was recognized to be Jesus Christ. He is the one to whom these words pointed forward. He's the God-ordained king, the one who would bring peace, true peace, lasting peace. Again, the passage doesn't reflect on the tranquil feelings that peace gives. It, It assumes that we understand that. It doesn't reflect on the things that we do to bring peace, as though we could do that. From the Bible's perspective, we can't produce this. It can only happen when the Son is given to us. And note, the emphasis isn't on personal peace. It's not a relational peace. There's no uh, emphasis on the feeling and whatever. Remember the dotted lines? You can't have the universal peace that the Messiah brings, which the passage talks about. You can't have that without conceiving that there's peace between people. And you can't conceive of that unless you understand peace is ultimately a sensation of the heart in which conflict has ceased. And I feel calm, whole, complete. So I had Mary Kay read another passage tonight. That's found in the book of Romans in the New Testament. And I'll put it up on the screen so you can see it. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you see, when Isaiah made this prediction, he was making a specific prediction. But as he looked forward, he didn't know when it was going to be fulfilled. It was just out there in the distant future. He didn't know the circumstances in which it would be fulfilled. But it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we see the very beginning of that fulfillment at the cross and what flowed out of the cross. That is, we are told in the book of Colossians that At the cross, he made peace. And this describes what happens to those who on the basis of the cross come to God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, justification is the term used in the New Testament to describe the individual sinner coming to God through Jesus Christ, and being accepted open-armed by God. 
It's a word that's used in a courtroom, justification. That it is, is, it is the acquittal of guilt before the throne of justice. As a criminal is brought before, when the judge brings his gavel down on the bar of justice and says this person is acquitted, he's acquitting the person of what he was charged with. And this says that those who come to God through faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified through or by faith. The person comes to God through faith. That is when we are justified before him. The sinful person is acquitted of guilt. And the gospel tells us that doesn't wait till a future time. That will be made a reality at the throne, the great white throne of God at the end of days. But it is a reality even now for the one who trusts in Christ. That's the gospel message. We have peace with God. What does that do for us? Well, it gives us peace with God. I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, I, I remember when I came to faith in Christ. I was 19. I was a student at Michigan State. But, you know, I think if you'd asked me a month after I came to faith in Christ, even though for me it was a very distinct experience, I knew exactly what had happened in terms of my faith. I understood that. But if you said, what do you feel because of peace with God? I don't think I would have really known. It's not the kind of concept that peace with God brings an automatic sense of everything is different for me now. But I have to tell you this, as I've moved through life now for 45 more years since then, as I think about what it means to have peace with God, as I've read the Bible and I grasp that more and more, as I've met together in various size groups with God's people and we've sung together and prayed and looked at the Bible, that concept to me has become more and more precious. And that's what it should be for the people of God. Because it says that peace with God is the basis on which God will do everything including change the entire world in the end. The only lasting peace that there is is peace of heart. It's the only source out of which real peace comes. The heart is the source of all of our emotions. And when our emotions are at turmoil, the whole world is in turmoil. And what is a Christian? A Christian is a person who, regardless of what else he or she faces in life, is at peace with God. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no more turmoil anymore, at least not in this world. There may still be turmoil in many ways, but in terms of relationship with God, all is calm, all is peaceful. We can enter into that as we enter into what Scripture says is true of us. Other factors might impact life. Certainly there will, but there may not be tranquility inside at every moment. We may have turmoil and face all kinds of difficulties outside at any time, but in life there is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says before that there's hostility. Even though we don't experience it, there's hostility. After that, there's peace. So what is a Christian? A Christian is a person who regardless of what else is going on, whatever areas of life, other areas of life he or she struggles with, is at peace with God. No more enmity. And what is a church? A healthy church is simply a gathering of people who are growing to understand what it means to have peace with God. And as a result, to have peace with each other. They find that as they worship him and reflect on him and who he is. They know that they have laid down their arms, that they had raised against God. 
And they know that God himself has turned from his hostility against sin because all of that was laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is a church? A church is just a group of people seeking and actually experiencing that in deeper and deeper ways in fellowship with each other and then beckoning other people in the community to join them in the family of peace. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is a time when we remember that the one God sent to us is the Prince of Peace. That peace will not be fulfilled. Even though it came at the cross, it will not be fulfilled until that final day. He will establish peace that, in fact, is, not, is universal, but it will be based on the peace of heart for everyone who belongs to him, now gathered in his presence forever and experiencing that peace forever. It's the fulfillment of the eternal plan of God, the thing that was predicted by Isaiah, that the God-man would come, and by the blood of his cross, he would establish peace, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we worship him on Christmas Eve. Let's pray. Again, our gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for each one who is here today. I know that people come from so many different places, especially on an evening like this. There are family members who have come from across the country, and we pray your blessing on them. But at the same time, we ask that you would help each home to be a place where they reflect on Jesus as the Prince of Peace. That it is ultimately peace with God that matters. We pray that you would give to us this experience as individuals and as families. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.